When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello everyone, this week I'm talking to Leanne. Leanne and her partner underwent IVF treatment to conceive their son Chester. Leanne's story is particularly interesting as their IVF was needed due to a male factor sperm issue and yet it was Leanne herself who had to undergo the intense medical treatment and she suffered a lot with OHSS which is overhyperstimulation syndrome which is potentially really serious. The pregnancy was a roller coaster overall uh, full of emotions for both of them as Leanne experienced bleeding on and off throughout the whole nine months. Eventually, she was diagnosed with complete placenta previa, which means her placenta was completely covering her cervix. In cases like this, a caesarean birth is a true medical necessity, as labour and delivery can cause a devastating blood loss for mother and baby. Leanne talks about how she had to let go of the pregnancy and birth experience that she had dreamed of, and accepted that baby Chester would be making his appearance in a much more medicalised way than she would have liked. This conversation is full of so many brilliant pieces of information for anyone who is going through IVF treatment, anyone who has placenta previa, or is simply just having to grieve a pregnancy and birth experience that they so dearly wish for, but maybe aren't able to have. Leanne speaks so brilliantly about what she went through and offers some great advice for anybody facing the same issues. Firstly, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to tell us all about the birth of Chester I'm really excited to hear your story could you start by just telling us a little bit about you and your family um yeah so I I had to go through uh, IVF treatment to have Chester I'm married to uh to my husband and um we had to have something called ICSI our problem was lies sort of malfactor so um the the ICSI side of things sort of um, helped with that side of like infertility and yeah so we had Chester from that we've been together uh <laughs> seven years now <laughs> uh, married for four uh it was it was a long old process to get through the fertility treatment it started um six years ago so it started a year after we sort of got together and yeah we we had Chester two years ago or two and a half years ago so yeah, it was a long old process, but we have yeah. it now. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question really was what was the journey to becoming pregnant? How did that look for you? And at what point did you kind of realise that you were going to need some help getting there? 
So we knew from the start, from the moment we met, we that was always going to be a, a factor. So that's something we equated into everything. That's why we sort of started quite early on because we knew it was something we was going to have to face. And and obviously, the earlier you sort of start with these things, the better with the the process. So it it can take obviously a few rounds. The reason why it took so long was because actually we were in a hospital for other issues. I had my appendix out when I just started going through one of my treatment rounds, and uh, Rich had to go into hospital um, when we started another round. So it was like external factors that stopped us actually having to go through, like having the the treatment any sooner. Uh, which is why it took longer um, mm. to do just two rounds because it was Chester was the second round. Yeah, so it was yeah a few years of saving and finding the right um, treatment centre as well. We, mm. we went to three different treatment centres to find the right one. So tell me about that in terms of the options that you had with having to pay for treatment versus not having to pay. What, what was your situation there? We pay, had to pay. The situation with our factors was that Rich had had a vasectomy very young, okay. um, 26, I believe he was. That was a decision that was made early on in his life that mm. obviously he'd changed his mind about later in life. So we went through a vasectomy reversal. That was our first sort of process. Unfortunately, well, it was successful, but unfortunately the scar tissue had caused antibodies so antibodies were attaching to the tails of like sperm, which was not allowing them to reach their, mm. their destination, basically. So although the tubes were back together, the, there was scarring left that, that caused the infertility from that side of things. Yeah, that's really interesting. That, I don't think that many yeah. people know that that can happen. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people talked about vasectomies and they would say, oh, yeah, I just want it done um, because I know you can get it reversed. Mm. And it's like, well... You, you can't see it as a temporary option it's it's very much like a permanent option that is an option to go for to, for mm. permanent fact of not having children so yeah I've, I've talked about it a lot with with a lot of people that have, have just sort of been like yeah well I'll just have a vasectomy because I know there's a reversal can be done um, mm, but there's, sort of, there's lots of yeah yeah thrown about a little bit like a sort of yeah <laughs> like it's a contraceptive option um, yeah. and not a permanent procedure yeah so you'd had one round that was not successful and yes. then you'd had and then your second round was successful. Yes. So can you remember how you found out you were pregnant? What was that moment like? Yes. So um, you have to do a two week wait when, when you do fertility treatments. You have the transfer um, and then you have two weeks where you sort of look out for every symptom and think oh could it be period or could it be mm-hmm. pregnancy because obviously they're very much alike when they're like when your period's due it's it's very similar to sort of pregnancy symptoms and um you you just you sort of persuade yourself it's it's your period coming because mm-hmm. if you've had a felt round you, you think that that's what it is um so the morning of the test um I actually tested two days early so I just obviously couldn't wait um I got up super early I think it was about 3 a.m three or four a.m and obviously your first wee is like the the best mm. the best one to, to go for so I did it straight away and yeah I was just like that yeah that's two lines so I, I said to Rich is, is, is that two lines did you wake him up at three o'clock yeah. <laughs> good <laughs> yeah so I had to have him like sort of tell me I needed someone to to sort of 
you need someone else to see the line yeah I just yeah. like to say yes it that is you are pregnant mm. basically. I, know, I know a lot of people that will go and buy a digital test just because it has the words on it yes yeah. and I know that I did that and actually you do when you've taken that many tests you just feel like you may have developed a weird thing where you see lines that aren't there so you just need someone to tell you it's not just in your brain um well that was the first of of many tests I took over the sort of that next week mm -hmm. because my pregnancy didn't start very well with the fact that the following week I started bleeding as well so it it was a continuous thing of of taking tests and and making sure they still said pregnant or Mm -hmm. there was still two lines there so at that point when you have a successful transfer and you get that positive do you stay with the fertility clinic for a while do they offer you some care or are you immediately transferred over to kind of NHS midwifery care how does that work so typically you stay with them till week eight so you usually have a scan at week eight is that if everything's fine week eight then you graduate basically from your fertility clinic if they feel you need another scan you stay with them to week 10 and then you graduate on to um your your standard hospital midwifery mm-hmm. but with myself it was slightly different because I'd started bleeding I was in the RUH before I was back to my fertility clinic okay so I'd had a scan previous to my eight-week scan um so I had a six-week scan eight-week scan and a 10-week scan mm, okay. just obviously to confirm that everything was still going okay um, and did, did they tell you why the bleeding was happening or yeah, so I had a very bad time of it through IVF. So I had um, over hyperstimulation syndrome, which is where your ovaries swell up so much um, that they actually, they can hit together where they're, they're so swollen. They call wow. it kissing ovaries. And I'd built up a lot of fluid because basically when they take the egg out of, out, from your ovaries, whatever, or how many you've, you've built up over the IVF treatment, they can fill with fluid. And obviously if there's too much fluid, then it's got nowhere to go. So it starts to go into your body. Um, so that's what started happening to me. So I was bloating out and I had to, we had to ring an ambulance because I couldn't move. I, I was in so much pain. I, I, I couldn't do anything. Um, and when they came and we explained the situation, you, you get given a letter by your fertility clinic to look out for these signs that you have to give to um, hospital if you need to go. And I gave it to them and explained and they said, well, this is what we want you to look like in nine months time because I was, I was so bloated my my tummy was so round mm. um and yeah I went in and, and I'd had they they confirmed over hyperstimulation syndrome and then I had to go on a medicine called cabergoline which would help with that and I had to have like fluid drains and had to have my bladder um scanned and that because it can sort of interfere with that and mm. it's you're at risk of pneumonia and things like that so yeah um, it's really it's really serious yeah. what I understand and people kind of think you know the process of IVF is obviously there's an understanding that it's difficult yeah but I think it's almost like okay well once we've got the eggs that's great you know we're good yeah. but actually there's that whole process afterwards where your body's like what just happened to me and yeah. for some people I mean is it quite a common thing that happens or um, it happens to about one percent of people that go through wow. IVF treatment. <laughs> so. Wow, that that's pretty rotten luck. <laughs> yeah, so because you can have mild, moderate, and severe. So mild can be quite sort of common because you kind of expect the bloating and stuff because mm. of what your body's been through. Moderate, yeah, it can happen, and then more severe cases where you're hospitalised is like one yeah. percent. 
so it is quite rare but I think with fertility treatment some some places they put you through the same treatment as everyone else that it doesn't matter to what your fertility situation is and with myself obviously it's a male factor in fertility so it's mm. not myself but obviously the treatment has to be done on me so therefore I think my body had gone into overdrive because mm. it, it, it's not at the point where it's like well I'm infertile when I need this kick they needed to do that to get the eggs from me that's crazy isn't it that you were receiving like the same treatment as somebody who like hasn't ovulated in a year say yeah you know? exactly the, the same treatment as someone's got polycystic ovaries or someone that um has endometriosis or, or any factors like that I, I was receiving the same mm. treatment as them wow so this was kind of during the IVS process so that had obviously taken a bit of a toll on your body so then when you were pregnant and you had this bleed mm-hmm. was that kind that of was, a, a result was, of what, yes. what had happened before so, right. um the fluid had had not completely gone so when that happened I wasn't allowed to have a transfer straight away like you typically would after you have your eggs collected so mine had to all be frozen because it my body needed time to get over the over hyperstimulation syndrome and then once I had a transfer date booked I hadn't had a scan or anything like that to say all was well it was just a case of it had been this period of time so therefore you know it's okay and then I I had the transfer done and I started bleeding, went into hospital and they scanned and said that there was some fluid on, I believe it was my left side, but luckily Chester was sort of growing towards the right side. So it was away from him. Right. But they also noticed I had a heart shape. Um, uterus which hadn't been pointed out before (laughs) yes it was so bizarre because I'd had so many scans obviously ready for treatment but no one had mentioned this before so they said actually that had kind of helped because I pushed the fluid to one side and and Chester was over on the other side Um, and as long as obviously the 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 fluid and the there were cysts as well obviously caused from the over hyperstimulation and and the uh, treatment I'd gone through they were all on the, the side away from from baby so yeah. um as long as it all stayed okay they said the pregnancy would should be okay and then does that fluid just kind of resolve itself over yeah, time so it just sort of, yeah just disperses away as long as it disperses away you don't go back into obviously uh, a, a state of over hyperstimulation mm. and the fluid going elsewhere but it was only it was minimal left and I had a fibroid as well so that there was a, a several different factors sort of going on at that moment in time okay but you were able to receive scans to kind of reassure you that it was all yes. okay although I'm sure it was yes. pretty nerve-wracking at the time <laughs> yeah so I had a scan at week six in um, the hospital then I had a scan at week eight in uh, my fertility my fertility clinic and actually they let me listen to the heartbeat and they were like typically we don't do this because it obviously builds up to a lot of hope then yeah um and you're still quite early on but at week eight they they did let me listen to the heartbeat and then I had to go back in for a week 10 scan in the hospital because I'd started bleeding again again so how was your pregnancy in general horrendous <laughs> it was it was so bad um which I feel really cheated out of because I I put so much into getting pregnant and then it was it was it was horrible it was I think I managed to enjoy in total about five weeks of it. Five weeks where I didn't have to stay in hospital. I didn't have to have a CTG or I didn't have to have another scan. Yeah, it was 
by week 19, I was I was bleeding pretty much on and off every couple of weeks. And week 19, they, they re-scanned me again and found that I'd, I have I had complete placenta previa, uh, okay. grade four. So, so that, the, that's where the placenta is completely covering your cervix. Is that right? Yes. That's like yeah. kind of the highest, highest grade. Highest grade. Yeah. yeah. So you can, it then goes on to like a creator and things like that. But the, mm. for the fact that it was placenta previa, it was the highest grade. It, it, it was that. And week 19, they sort of said to me, we'll scan you, obviously your 20 week scan. We, you have your usual 20 week scan. Um, it may have moved. It, it may have shifted a bit. We'll, we'll see. But the sonographer sort of said, but I'm, I'm not sure and sort of showed me where it was. And there was quite a lot of movement that was needed mm. to enable me to obviously give birth away from having a cesarean. So I sort of psyched myself up then that I was going to be having a cesarean. I, I knew mm. from that moment. And how, how did you feel about that? Again, I kind of felt cheated because yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go through because I, I knew I wasn't going to be going through labour because I it would put me at risk and, and put baby at risk to, to even contemplate like getting to the mm. point where you go to labour. So yeah, I felt a bit cheated. Yeah, because so placenta previa is one of those actual conditions where, you know, cesarean is actually really medically necessary to save yes. you and baby's life because there's a huge yes. risk of, of bleeding. Yeah. So it's not even like there was another option for you if... No. Yeah. No. So yeah like you'd put so much like emotionally financially all of it into kind of having this baby and then all the kind of bits that you maybe really wanted to do you've got to kind of suddenly shift your mindset around not not getting those so did you were you able to start planning for how your cesarean might go quite early on then or was it still Um, quite unknown I it was kind of unknown because basically every time that I bled which which was fairly often I had to go in um, and each time I was told you know if if you bleed again you're potentially staying in or potentially we're delivering baby Um, I got to week 22 I was was just over 22 weeks I was was hitting 23 weeks and I had quite a significant bleed where I had to actually be blue lighted to um, another hospital because the the hospital uh, the RUH couldn't take pre-24 weeks Right. So their concern was that this this bleed had obviously caused distress and that I was potentially going into labour because I was I was hooked up to CTG and uh, the midwife said to me, are you feeling some pain? And I was like, well, a little bit, but I haven't really thought about it. And she was like, well, there's things happening that make me concerned that you might be getting some twinges to towards labour. So they did. um, I can't remember what it's called, but they, they can do like a sweep yeah to check so they did the check and they said it 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 come back negative that I wasn't going into labor but they were still concerned by these twinges and the the pain that I was having so yeah they blue lighted me to another hospital that had a uh cot and a room just in case so yeah that's a bit of a reality check (laughs) yeah it it really was so at at that point I didn't even have like a hospital bag I didn't yeah we hadn't even got a car seat there was nothing like, I think the only thing we purchased at that point was a pram and, and I think actually a lot of people do wait until around that 20 week mark anyway to start yeah. buying things yeah and that's nobody goes into a pregnancy thinking oh well I could have my baby at week 20 something no. do they so of course you no. haven't prepared for that 
I mean, obviously at week 20, they told me that I hadn't, that placenta hadn't moved, but I, I never considered the fact that I would be facing labor at, at nearly 23 mm -hmm. weeks. So I, I just thought, um, maybe I'd, I'd have him early or, mm -hmm. or something like that. So I hadn't even planned anything towards what my like planned cesarean would look like. It was just sort of in, in the back of my mind of like, that is going to happen. But no one had talked me through what I could have happen at that point because mm -hmm. it, I was still so early on. So when you got to the other hospital that kind of could have handled a, a very, very small baby, mm -hmm. what happened then? Did you have to stay? Yeah, so um, I got there about one o'clock in the morning and I had to have a steroid injection straight away because um, obviously baby would have been very, very small and needed help with potentially sort of the, their lungs and things. So mm -hmm. I had the first steroid injection. I was given uh, a room with an ensuite because I think they were thinking I was in there for long haul, basically. And um, we had like NICU uh, midwife come and speak to us and, and said we could go see the the NICU at, at some point the next day and then um, I got woken up I can't remember how many hours apart they are now but you have to have a certain amount of hours between obviously the the, the first steroid injection and the second one and I was asleep and I was woken up for the second one because um, they're extremely painful and I was mm. quite I was quite happy that actually I was half asleep with the second it wasn't as bad and then they just sort of kept monitoring me seeing how the bleeding was going and it turned from flesh, fresh blood to sort of older blood so they were quite happy just to monitor me and not have to go in for a cesarean but I think what they were sort of expecting was the next day that after I got in they they would be taking me down to theatre um, yeah. and pot potentially sometimes with sort of placenta previa you you have to go under because there can be a, a expected lot of loss of blood that, that yeah. could be quite significant so that was the that was what I was facing at sort of week 23 um at that point and I stayed in Newport for two weeks I stayed over Easter and I was allowed out on the Easter Monday <laughs> and I had my husband traveling backwards and forwards to Newport to like make sure that he could get some sleep and get and get some bits that he needed and bring bits to me that I needed um, and also he needed to get back to work at some of the days because mm. you know, taking two weeks off work would have financially just hit us as well. And you want all that time for when your baby's with you, don't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was it was a difficult time, but um, we had one of the specialists come and discharge me on the on the last day. And she, and she sort of said, I'm quite happy to discharge you today, but obviously any any bleeding, anything, go straight to your local hospital again. And if it wasn't for the fact that the we wasn't too far away from RUH, I would have been staying in for the long haul because mm. you have to be about 30 to 40 minutes away from the hospital just in case you do go into labor mm. because you have to get there and that's that. You, you're straight in. So did you feel after that that you were kind of walking on eggshells a little bit? Yes. <laughs> yes. Were you, absolutely. Were, you, were you advised to be particularly careful with anything? Were you? Yeah. 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 I had to give up pregnancy yoga. Um, so that was all cancelled. Like I was doing the aquafit and things like that. Everything just stopped everything. The only thing I was doing was still going to work at that point and sort of trying to do a few bits and bobs but I wasn't allowed to carry anything heavy or you know anything that would put too much strain that would cause because it's basically the placenta that's ble that's bleeding so obviously the placenta's bleeding the baby's probably not getting what mm. it needs to get so yeah anything that would just 
not cause a bleed, absolutely no sex, nothing, no orgasms, nothing, nothing like that allowed at all because that can cause a bleed. Yeah, so that was that was it, nothing at all. Oh, and you must have felt so cheated on that as well, because they say, you know, for most women, it's like, well, get those happy hormones going, get into the bedroom, you know, the more I know. I was told the opposite of like everything, basically, like stay active in pregnancy and like, you know, like when you want to bring on labor, have sex. And that's like, no, you do none of this. Basically (laughs) sit down and be as boring as you possibly can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my, 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 sort of saviour was was work I was still going to work but the following week that all changed because then I I was back in the RUH with another bleed and I stayed in the RUH for a couple of weeks and at that point the consultant said to me you need to consider what you're going to do about work now he was like I'm not going to tell you to stop work but you need to consider what you're going to do because I was commuting there was a bit of a walk from where I was sort of getting the train from I, I wasn't driving I couldn't be steering all my bump so I was <laughs> just I'm short enough as it is so with a bump added it was just not happening yeah so the walk from the train station to the office he said it might it might be too much of a strain for you so yeah at that point I I spent a couple of weeks in hospital and I sort of was speaking to management and stuff and and we decided it was best that I didn't go back to work at that point and start my take some annual leave and start my maternity leave again that's that's another thing isn't it that you that's kind of just added onto the list of things that are frustratingly out out of your control. I remember like being in hospital and in an area and thinking, oh, do I take my maternity leave now? Because I really want to take so much time with baby. Mm. Um, and looking back at it now, it's like it was it was a no brainer. It had to be done. I was still in there thinking, oh, but it might be okay and all this stuff but I mean the the last bleed I was actually at, at the last time I bled when before I'd stopped work I was actually at work mm. and it got to the point men, like mentally I'd gone to the toilet and been like oh my period's here because I just it, I was just come to expect it yeah and I was just like oh oh my period's coming and I thought no no I don't want my period I'm, I'm pregnant no I need to go to hospital now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so I just went to my manager I said I've, I've got to go to hospital I'm sorry I've started bleeding again and that that was it that then I sort of didn't go back until just before my cesarean date when I had to go and get all my stuff and hand over so yeah take take us to that point then so obviously you'd had lots of ups and downs through the whole of the pregnancy but take us to that point when actually it was time like how did how did you know it was time was it kind of agreed or, or was it due to a bleed and it was like right we've got to do this now and how many weeks were you so it was agreed um and I was 37 weeks and that came about from every week I had to go in for a scan um so every week I went in I'd have my next sort of scans booked just it was basically to see if the placenta had moved and if we were going to still go down the cesarean option and every time the sonograph was like yeah we're just going to be booking you a cesarean but they obviously they've got to do the checks because if there is another option there then I I could have had another option but I'd already set my mind to it Mm. was going to be cesarean um so when I had my final scan at like 36 weeks they tried to book me in they couldn't find a slot for me and basically I was going to be an emergency cesarean which I obviously was not happy with (laughs) that's horrific that you're a planned emergency cesarean yes so basically (sighs) what would have happened is they would have just moved someone for me on 
whatever day and they were going to call me to let me know when that was going to happen but it was going to be very last minute but I went away thinking well you've known about this since week 19 we're now week 36 I've been in and out throughout the whole pregnancy um, and in the end it took I think three phone calls from me and two from Rich to say you're gonna have to book a date you know you you've got us so anxious about this now saying every time I go in um, I might have baby or I might have to stay there I might have to live at hospital and all this stuff to then suddenly we'll fit you in when we can fit you in and actually but you mustn't go into labor <laughs> you're also being told don't do anything this is a life-threatening condition yes but we'll just fit you in when we can. Yes. Yeah. You'd think think that actually once you got past your 20-something week, they would sort of tentatively book you something around your due date, you know, just just to have something there. Um, Obviously, it doesn't work like that. But, yeah, Yeah. so that must have just been – so you did in the end, you you were able to fight your case for you. and Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we sort of advocated for ourselves and and was like, you know, we were told we can't hit – a point where we might face labour which is going to be sort of you know in week 38 to, to week 40 which I've told I was told you, you cannot go to those weeks like that's it like 37 is cut off so we every phone call we sort of reiterated that that that's you know this is what we're being told and now you're, you're saying just wait and see and I was like I don't want to go in following a, a bleed and have it all emergency when it's something I've known about all along and I've got my mindset into this you know we're going to have this planned cesarean now um so yeah we advocated for ourselves and and then the consultant got us in they don't usually obviously like to do a cesarean preterm they, mm. they, they liked obviously I was on the cusp so it was it was a case of they were trying to push for later than week 38 mm. but obviously the concerns around labor outweigh that option so mm. in the end we, we went with work 30, week 37 and actually you think you know all the stuff you've had to deal with you think you deserve to know when you're having your baby like all these things you can't control the one thing that I think that they can that you can control that you can have that's yours is right this is when this is the birth and I'm I'm not being rushed in it's not out of my control it's not traumatic it's you know in in the sense of I don't know when it's happening so then at least you were able to fight yeah. for yourselves a little bit and, and have that. So eventually you had a date in the diary. <laughs> we did. And then that changed three times. Great. <laughs> we we got stuff. phone call after phone call saying, oh, sorry, we're going to have to change it to this. And the last phone call I had, the lady said to me, I'm really sorry. She said, but I promise you, this is the last date. Now this is your date. I'll say, okay, that's I'm, fine. I'm, like, I'm coming either way. I'm coming to that appointment. <laughs> I'll fight the other woman. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, we had, we had a day. It got changed three times, but we, we did have a date in the end. What happened on the day then? So this is, I suppose, your, your day of birth. What, what happened? Yes. Tell us about, tell us about Jester's so, birthday. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't sleep at all the night before. because obviously, you know, it's happening. Yeah. I was already worried about I was worried about surgery. I don't like surgery as it is anyways. Like, you know, I've, I had my appendix out a couple of years before and my recovery wasn't great. And I just, I was, I was dreading it, but I was looking forward to it. I mean, we had, we never found out what we were having until the cesarean. So I always wanted that because everything had been taken out of our hands when it came to fertility treatment and stuff. And I wanted this one thing to be, okay, we don't know. 
and I want it to stay that way that's my decision Mm. Um, so I was excited to find out what we were having so yeah I just didn't sleep and then morning of I've I well I come down I I slept downstairs for all of the sleep I did get and got up and basically the bags were already sorted because I I sorted them on on week 24 after (laughs) I was like was told you know this is it you're potentially having a baby literally everything got sorted that week mm. um so they were already one was already in the car because they said keep one in the car just in case and yeah we headed over to the hospital it was really hot day so hot and it was so hot in the hospital and we were just sort of there chilling out things were quite fast actually we were the first in so I think they go by what is highest risk sort of goes first just in case mm. obviously emergencies come in um, so there was a lady that was due to go before me. I'm, I'm not sure what was happening there, but she'd actually eaten and they were like, well, I'm sorry, you, you're going to have to sort of wait. You, you, you've eaten and that. And she mm. was feeling quite nauseous. So I took her place. So I was like, sorry. Bumped up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was due to be second, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was first in the end. Yeah. So they gown, got, got the gown and that sort of sat there just waiting. And they were like, well, come through and and we'll get you I had to sign the forms obviously to say that you're going through the surgery and the risks that come with it and see risk of having um hysterectomy which is is higher with placenta previa or any of those sort of placenta accreta issues or anything mm-hmm. like that so he signed all of those went through rich was all count up in his scrubs and that they always look um, so funny don't they when they dress up your <laughs> partner or whoever it is that's with you just thinking you don't belong in that I know what what made me chuckle was it they were school it almost looked like school chairs for them to sit on like the old school plastic chair with yeah. metal like um legs to them yeah that I looked at it and I thought oh that's weird and there was like a garden chair it was really yeah, bizarre. yeah. And the amount of people like I I cannot remember anyone's name but they all introduced themselves but there was so many people and you're just like wow like <laughs> I can't even focus on I can't even remember my midwife's name because it was just so much going on with so mm. many different people introducing themselves and the other thing that got me was how tilted you feel when like they sit you when they lay you on the bed and you're like why is this so tilted yeah yeah um it's just re- just reminded me actually that Mike actually stole his scrubs they never took oh, really? them back <laughs> so we just took them home until somebody pointed out you know, they're probably, you probably shouldn't have taken those scrubs, not, not for like thieving, but like, they've probably like been in loads of operations. They're probably a bit gross. Yeah. And Mike was like, oh, so yeah, we got, we got rid of them. But yeah, oh. they were good fun for a bit. Uh, so yeah, very overwhelming then. Huge, huge amount yes. of people. I don't think you quite realise how many people are involved. There's like somebody to count all the instruments and then there's somebody to count them after that person's done it. Yes. So that, so that they haven't Nothing's messed lost, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know it was so just so much going on. And usually with a, a planned cesarean, you can have um, what music you want and things like that. But because of the high risk nature, nothing like that was set up for me. So it, it, I didn't have any sort of consultation to say what did I want happening. Um, basically, it was I had a I can't remember what it's called. It's like a transfusion machine which circulates your blood back through um, just to stop. The potential of how to basically to, to help with the, the blood loss that w- would possibly follow from the placenta and I had the blood the blood ready obviously for a transfusion so I think it was just a case of so high risk that 
having that all that going on would have been too much for them as well it, it was just let's do this safe and mm. as safely as possible and, and um, make sure that both mum and baby are okay so yeah I hadn't I had no music or anything like that um, I had a screen up I didn't have the option of having the screen down so as much as it was a planned cesarean it I guess it would have felt similar to like an emergency one in that fact that I didn't have any options put in place to make it feel like it was planned as such mm. yeah no kind of personalized no things there in your memory was it fast or were you just like come on like it was really quick really quick but I don't know if that was because I was like come on I want to know what I'm having yeah and that it just it just went in an instant and I remember hearing the waters and they said oh that's your water wow um yeah and I was like wow that's weird yeah (laughs) um I've never thought of that (laughs) yeah yeah literally like I was I I don't know if it's because obviously we had no music or anything like that it was just a case of everyone was just talking or or doing what they Mm. needed to do and yeah so when when she sort of broke the water she was like oh that yeah that's your water I was like oh that was weird and it felt so weird it felt so bizarre and I never I didn't really feel them pull Chester out I just Mm -hmm almost it almost felt like there was arms in me and then there wasn't um and then they remembered that I didn't know what I was having so they were oh gosh you don't know do you so then they lowered the screen and showed me um so we could see um and then actually because it had gone so much better than they expected I didn't have to have a transfusion or anything like that they did delayed cord cutting so they did the cord clamp and and they delayed it yeah so that that's, was good inc- that's incredible actually because even yeah. planned cesareans sometimes they they don't do that yeah. no so I was that that was great like there was something that I thought I couldn't have that I managed managed to have and which then got to go and cut the the extra bit of cord when they they put Chester onto the the bed um mm. which I think he kind of regrets now because he looked right on the way down when they told him don't look right and he said all I could see was this woman <laughs> elbow deep <laughs> in your belly sewing you up <laughs> yeah you've got to be prepared for that I think <laughs> yeah. he said all I saw was like bags and bags of blood like blood-stained stuff and and this woman with her arms in you <laughs> and she was quite a young surgeon so he was like you looked at her and you looked like you shouldn't be you shouldn't have your arms in there <laughs> <laughs> you're a child <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah. so so did they bring Chester to you at that point yes. was he placed on your chest or He was. Yeah. Yeah. So we had skin to skin. Again, something that I didn't think I was going to be able to have because obviously they said, you know, a little bit early on, might have to have NICU time. Um, But no, absolutely. Everything was fine. So straight over to me. Um, And then I started to feel a bit woozy and a bit Mm. shaky. And they said, uh, is it tacky? They call it. So I've gone a bit Mm. tacky. So I gave Chester to to Rich at that point. Um, Luckily, I did because then I started throwing up. Mm. (laughs) I I don't want to throw up on my baby. Yeah, I don't want that to be the first thing that happens. Um, yeah, so I was I was quite nauseous then, and then wheeled through to sort of recovery, and basically started breastfeeding straight away. Didn't even put a nappy on him. We didn't even think like oh, we wow. didn't even take a nappy with us. <laughs> they were like, "Gosh, you're you're tempting fate." <laughs> <laughs> that must have been really lovely. So, had you thought about feeding and everything before the birth or? Um, I hadn't too much to be honest I just thought I'll try and see what happens I thought I'm not going to put pressure on anything because mm. I don't know when he's going to be born I don't know you know if I'm, it's going to be early on and it's going to be a lot of stress to to try and pump and things like that so I, 
I bought a pump and I bought some bottles and I bought a sterilizer. I was sort of prepared for whatever option was going to happen, but it was perfect straight away from the get go. That straight away was great. Um, and yeah, continued that until he was like a year, basically. That's amazing. And I'm just really glad that you got one, you know, part yes. of it that was just <laughs> totally natural and easy. Yes. You know, it happened after he was born, but that must have been really nice for you as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole build up to it all was so stressful and so exhausting and so emotionally draining um, that actually I I went through counselling last year. So I don't think I'd truly sat down and appreciated everything that had happened and, and what a high risk pregnancy it was. And then when when it all sort of hit me at once, mm-hmm. I, I went through some counselling just just to actually say it out loud and talk mm-hmm. about it and be like yeah it was high risk and actually it was life-threatening not just for me for, for baby as well and and you know I faced the fact that if anything had gone wrong that would have been a hysterectomy that mm-hmm. that could have been something worse so yeah I I had to sort of go through the motions with that mm. and because you are you're just living week to week aren't you in your pregnancy mm. you don't really sit and look at the bigger picture and go Jesus that was yeah that was a big thing that was a big hard thing yeah sometimes it does take till quite a bit afterwards to kind of go geez okay I can put this in perspective now in in general kind of how was that immediate postpartum period for you so with Chester absolutely brilliant but with myself and my recovery not so great so my blood test results got lost twice so after obviously the the your surgery and that you're having your blood test to make sure you know infection and whatnot um they got lost twice so I actually ended up staying in hospital for two nights rather than just maybe the one night um and I was in absolute pain because they couldn't give me ibuprofen because they hadn't got my blood results so they were cautious about what they were giving me and I I couldn't move I obviously the next day after a cesarean they, they try and get you moving and that I literally couldn't move I was in so much pain I wasn't on the painkillers I needed to be on Mm. um and then the the second night um there was a new doctor and she come along and said do you want do you want something do you you need something don't you I was like yes I really do I haven't slept I'm in so much pain and yeah she gave me something and I was asleep and then Rich had to wake me up I was like Chester needs feeding by the way (laughs) (laughs) but I just all caught up with me because the, the pain that obviously caused havoc on my body and obviously Mm. what I'd just been through it's it's a very it's huge it's like so so many layers of of skin and muscle and all and it's like every you do not realize how many movements that the tiniest movements you make rely on your core abdomen and I yeah I do think that I can't believe that some people are sent home you know with saying just oh have some paracetamol it's just No, I remember being up at like four in the morning because my last, whatever the really strong ones they gave me, uh, the last one. Oh, the Cocodamol. Yeah. yeah, it was like Cocoda Hydro something. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember Mike basically had to drive around all of the like out of hours places until somebody gave him a bloody box of that stuff because I was just oh, terrified. Wow. I was terrified of it ending. Yeah. I, I think they sent me home with enough for three days. And I just thought, I know that's more than some people get, but three days. So yeah, it's insane. I I just find it crazy that then you're sent home with, I mean, in my case, an eight pound 15 Mm. baby to handle and stuff when 
you're told oh you know take care and that's it I bet you had a more restful and more support in terms of what you're expected to do after your append after your appendix issues you know yeah and you don't and and you don't and that was keyhole (laughs) yeah and you don't have to keep a human alive no exactly I know it was it really it that baffled me Uh, I think we've definitely that's we've definitely got that wrong in this country well just generally the western world is okay cool your baby's outside of you now so crack on yeah and as soon as obviously all that happened it was almost forgotten about that I went through everything I went through previous Mm. so my body had already been through a forced menopause basically with the IVF treatment then the OHSS then placenta previa not including obviously the fibroid and the fluid and that and the, the bleeding previous to placenta previa issues and then a cesarean and then it's it's all about baby yeah it's, it's like, like oh, how, you, how do you need, do it? <laughs> you need like six weeks in the Bahamas for that like that's <laughs> that's not so it was a, a rough kind of initial recovery for yes. you then yeah yeah so in the the first couple of nights in hospital was was pure agony so 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 painful and then we got the day we got discharged I actually man I managed to walk and go to the toilet and that without too much aid from like my husband I managed to have a shower Mm -hmm. um and I just felt a bit a little bit more human um but the other because the other thing with the placenta previous I I had to have extra stitches in that where they'd had to sort of remove more of the placenta from more of the, the front when it goes placenta previa it can sort of start invading around the front okay depending on where the the placenta sort of started to grow so from what they said I'd had like extra stitches as well I had that going on and then not the right painkillers and yeah I was just I just wanted to be home then just Mm, wanted to start recovery at home at that point (laughs) and did you feel better once you got home I did yeah it was it was good because then I knew Rich had the time off he managed to obviously that was that was the good thing about the plan cesarean and knowing the date is that we managed to book the time off for Rich and have the, the time at home from start till finish with his paternity leave mm-hmm. with me and baby. So I knew I had him for those two weeks. I was just thinking, gosh, what do I do after those two weeks? <laughs> I think especially if you've had major surgery, whether that's kind of a C-section or, or like maybe an instrumental birth or a particularly bad tear or something I feel like you should get an extra week of support because I felt personally it took two weeks for me to be kind of physically back up you know like walking up the stairs walking down just even just taking a gentle walk down the block it was about two weeks before I felt like I could do that and then I was like okay now I'm ready to do (laughs) you know to to have you here and, and enjoy this so yeah two weeks is is really not not a huge amount of time but yeah so and then and then kind of since that immediate period you mentioned that you kind of had some emotional support to kind of process all of the stuff that you've been through do you do you feel like that's given you an opportunity to kind of reflect on everything and just feel a bit more settled with actually what you did go through Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, it sometimes sort of things come up. I mean, like a couple of months ago, Rich said to me, "Ah, oh, the head consultant from fertility clinic come in to your cesarean." He was like, "I didn't even." He's like, "I didn't even gauge it at the time." He said, "That's how high risk it was." Because mm. like the the, con- the consultant that also works at that hospital that that deals with the fertility side of things, he's like the head. 
come in to check how your cesarean was going and he was like and that that just twigged to me that things could have gone massively different Mm. to what they did um so every now and again like things crop up that you're like oh yeah I didn't even think about that because you don't know what's normal and what's not when it comes to those situations when it's like your first baby so I was like oh yeah I didn't think I thought maybe it was just a, a normal thing but when he said his name oh yeah that's him from the fertility <laughs> clinic <laughs> it's yeah. so yeah every now and again a thing, a thing will crop up but massively better than, than last year I mean the, the first year after like things were just continuously going around in my head and and looking towards the future as well a lot because we've got five embryos that are frozen and it's a case of do do we do that because um if we have another transfer because placenta previa can be caused by the embryo transfer because obviously where it's placed and stuff then now I've got scarring from a cesarean again that makes a higher risk for these sort of issues I just think oh will I face a creta with bladder invasion and stuff like that and that scares me about another potential pregnancy so I spent a lot of the first year thinking to the future and, and since the counselling I've not really thought about that too much I've just been thinking about like, well I've got Chester and mm. we went through that and we we got Chester at the end of it and that was just worth it in the end. Mm. What would you say if anything the whole process of this birth has taught you? Um, that women just have to get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that no was bloody brilliant for doing it. <laughs> yeah you know you've got you've got to go through whatever you've got to go through to get you know what you want at the end and then obviously you've got motherhood and that and you you just just gotta go with it it's a process isn't it of just kind of cracking on (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) yeah basically I I mean I I can't speak for people that go through labor and that but I would have liked to have gone through labor um and it, it probably sounds bizarre to a lot of people that have faced it but I think it would have just been that little end to the, the IVF process that I wanted because I still find it so bizarre that I've had a baby, but I've never been through labor. Mm. Um, no, I've I never complete- had a feeling of labor. <laughs> I completely understand that. Yeah. And people think it's weird to want to do it, but yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't explain it. You just want to do it. Yeah. And the other thing I think about is I don't think I would ever put a birth plan together only because everything got taken out of my hands like when I found out I was pregnant I was like oh I want to have a water birth and all of this stuff and I had all these ideas in my head and yeah then it all sort of start slowly started slipping away mm-hmm. um and then I just thought mm, no yeah I always think I, it's, I wouldn't do it <laughs> I always think it's a good idea if you're going to do it to have a plan a a plan b and a plan c yeah because yes. then it's like you've gone through okay this is what I'd really like but <laughs> okay if I can't have that then I'll have this and then if it all goes to shit this is what I can control and and actually maybe there's a plan d which is I can't control any of it and how do I support myself after that that's your plan is how do I process it if if there's no plan so exactly yeah yeah it's definitely an idea to have to have these things in the back of your mind that okay this is this is what I truly want but this is what I could also go with and this is something that I potentially would like to happen but and if you could give somebody who is facing the same kind of situation whether that's a difficult pregnancy or a high risk cesarean or whatever that might be what kind of advice would you give somebody who was in a similar situation to you 
So I found finding people in a similar situation help. You have to be cautious when it comes to things like high risk, though, because you are going to get those stories that are going to make you a bit more anxious. So I found Instagram was the best. There's quite a a big community out there when it comes to IVF treatments and fertility treatments um, in that respect. So I use that a lot. And I I did join a Facebook group um, about placenta previa, but I found that that had me scrolling a lot, seeing stories I didn't really want to see at that moment in time so I think protect yourself but also have support and and the education there that you need so that if something is said to you then you know that you can question things so I think when you're told something like something's high risk there's not necessarily much detail that's that's then explained Mm. I, I, I wasn't explained any more than you you might have to stay in, you might have to baby sooner. I wasn't told that where the bleeding was coming from and that. That was all stuff that I found out for myself mm-hmm. doing research on it. So yeah, I think have have a support hub there, um, but protect yourself as well mm-hmm. from that support hub. You're right in terms of just saying, okay, well, I'm high risk, but please could you explain to me what that risk is very specifically? So what is what could happen? You know, spell it out for me. Because, you know, somebody might not, think to go away and do their own research and take all the painkillers they give you yes yeah absolutely say yes do not scrimp on the painkillers <laughs> not at all <laughs> if they offer it to you say yes please <laughs> um was there anything else you wanted to to say or maybe kind of recommend or anything so I don't want people to think when you go through fertility treatment it all goes this way this is a very very <laughs> unique different story that unfortunately you know every every little aspect that was a minimal issue that could raise that could be raised it happened to me unfortunately and if it wasn't for the fact that OHSS and the previous external issues um, had happened before and then obviously the, the fibroids and the the fluid and then the placenta previa it would just be it would have been just the, the one factor mm. that potentially would have been easier to sort of digest but this this is very, yeah very unique to fertility treatment um and it does it doesn't happen to everyone a lot of people I know go through it and perfect pregnancy have the perfect birth and everything like that and it's mm. all fine um it's just when it comes to placenta previa and IVF it's it's because you have an embryo transfer so the, mm. the, the placenta's not grown where the baby's percent like been conceived because the embryo has been put in in there basically and it's a very very minimal risk but yeah it can it can happen it usually happens if you've got a lot of scarring because the placenta tries to sort of attach to the scarring right well you know it it might not happen for everyone and you know like you say you don't want people to kind of think oh I'm having fertility treatment so this is gonna happen to me but (laughs) but it it can and it does happen and it's your story and it's it's yeah the biggest thing to look out for is is over hyperstimulation syndrome don't let them tell you it's just a bit of bloating if you feel like it's more go and get it checked out Mm. because the sooner you do something about it the the better for you if you leave it in the fluids building up then obviously it gets to a to a worse state and that's just one thing to look out for drink lots of fluid they say after you've had your egg collection lots and lots of fluid to flush it all out Um, lots of water get it all flushed out and just take care of yourself You've, you've been through something that you're awake for that they're basically going in and out and grabbing eggs from you and depending on how many eggs you've got that is that can be a longer process than normal it could be a very short process but you can still be very very sore very uncomfortable and yeah just just make sure you take care after those those 
treatments as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Honestly, it was so interesting. And I think there's going to be lots of people who are maybe maybe there's one thing in your story that somebody can relate to. Maybe there's two, maybe there's three. But I think in each little part of your ups and downs and your roller coaster that you've been on, there's definitely some really good advice for people to take something away from each of those. Um, yeah definitely (laughs) you know there's going to be lots of people that are you know maybe maybe they're just curious about what OHSS is or maybe they are really worried about getting it but they don't actually know what it's like if you see the signs so yeah, yeah I think it's it's really important to share those stories that are super smooth sailing, like you say, and the stories yeah. that are rocky and up and down because they, they all happen. <laughs> so it happens. But it's also important to hear somebody who's come out the other side who can kind of look back and, and reflect on it and say what, what they needed to support them. And also that, you know, you've got a lovely little one and you all came, you all came out of it. Okay. In the end. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're all good. We're all still here and and, and coping with the lack of sleep. (laughs) Thank you so much, Leanne, for sharing your story with us. It's one of incredible resilience and courage and just having to really deal with anything that life throws at you that you really can't control. Everything from the IVF experience through to bleeding in pregnancy and then dealing with such a stressful situation when it came to having your planned cesarean date move so frequently. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would rate and review on whichever platform you're using. Every review, every um, star rating really helps me to show up to new listeners. I would love it if you could do that. The other ways in which you can connect with me, you can find me on Instagram, I'm The Real Birth Podcast, and Facebook, The Real Birth Podcast. And I would love it if you could share this episode if you know somebody who might find it useful in their pregnancy. Join me again for another episode coming up on Wednesday. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.